0: This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the Word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. I want to jump right into the Word of God. Uh, we're going to continue from where we left off last Sunday. Uh, and as you, as you know, or if you're following along closely with us, uh, we've been in a sermon series called Rated R. Uh, we've been exploring passages of scripture and stories from the Bible that we have been taught while we were probably growing up uh, inside the church. Uh, that We refer to them as Sunday school stories that uh, we were taught in a certain way. And most of them, uh, rightly so, uh, were, were stories that were taught to us in a very PG-rated way. Uh, If you look at the Bible, the Bible is filled with stories and encounters and uh, stuff in the word that is very R-rated sometimes. And as children, we grow up listening to these stories, but uh, what happens is the awe of these stories don't don't really captivate us because we fail to actually go right into the scriptures to ask God what he's trying to teach us through these passages. I want to remind us as a church as we go through this series that God can use pain, God can use trauma, God could use the, the bruises and the pain and the, uh, and the stuff of yesterday for his glory. See, if the Bible was a book that was filled with good stuff and was filled with stuff that was all flowery and, and great, man, it would be hard to believe But as we kick the series off, we talked about how God does some stuff and talks about some stuff in this Bible and inspires these Bible writers to often talk about stuff that is too good to believe. And in and through those those journeys that we go through in life, I think the Word of God is positioning ourselves to ask ourselves questions as to why we are put in places that require us to ask these hard-hitting questions of life. Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about this man called David, a man that was after God's own heart, a man that God loved dearly, a man that he sought after, a man that sought after God, but there was this dark side to David. Just like so many of us have dark sides, we have sins that uh, are unspoken of, sins that we don't talk about verbally. Uh, There are things that we try to sweep under the the rug and uh, often it's not brought into the limelight. But when it's all said and done, we all have to understand that you and I are David's. And, and we talked about that last week, and if I have to, we went over three uh, different points uh, when we studied the book of Second Samuel, chapter number 11. And as you saw last week, we read the chapter in its entirety, and we'll, we'll read a few verses here and there as well today. But the three points that we left off last week was, point number one was guard your heart. We talked about how anybody, and I said anybody, can fall into an ungodly relationship. The point number two that we left was left off with was a complacent heart is a what? Distracted heart. A complacent heart is a distracted heart. And point number three is this. Stop while you're ahead. Stop while you're ahead. Uh, we're talking about how to have godly relationships, and how it's important for us to stay out of godly relationships. And, and I talked about this last week, and I said for single people, this is a lesson from God as to how we can protect ourselves and guard ourselves from getting into ungodly relationships. Uh, for, for those of us that are married, God is looking at each one of us and, and, and challenging us with uh, with that that the, the marriage covenant, probably, in, in reminding us that we have a covenant, that we have a promise that we have given to our spouse and how not to jump into ungodly relationships when things inside of your relationship don't go as planned. Point number four today is what I want to start off with. We talked about how it's so important for us to stay ahead, uh, stop when we're ahead. We ended with talking about king culture because here was a man called David who went and took whatever he wanted. We talked about it and we termed it as king culture, the danger of king culture. You know, king culture takes, kings have the power to take. We see David, David sees, David takes. He sees, he takes. There was nobody to hold him accountable. There was nobody to say, hey, what's going on, David? You probably need to stop in your tracks. And if there was somebody that did challenge him, there was this ability that he had within him to overrule those challenges. It's called king culture. So we're, we're, we, were, we were kind of discussing that and, and we were talking about how Bathsheba was silenced and how there is this tendency within our society and our cultures to silence the victims and, and the victimizers often get away with it. In chapter number eleven, Second 2 Samuel chapter number 11, in verse number four, we ended with, with this verse. It, and it says, now she, is, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness Then she returned to her house. Verse five, and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. In one verse, in one verse, we see the rapid pace at which sin travels. This is critical for us as a church to understand. Sin travels fast. The power of sin grabs and allows you to gravitate towards it. And oftentimes, it's this spiraling force that once we get caught up in, it's so hard no matter how much we try holding on to the sides. Anybody that's been through one of those water park rides where you go sit on the tube and you, 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 know, you, you know you're getting in for an exhilarating ride, but like you, you know that it's going to be amazing, but halfway in, you're like, I don't know if I can do this, and you're holding on to the sides, and no matter how much you hold on to the sides, you know that you're not gonna stop. Come on, have you been there before? Like It doesn't matter, and that's how it is. No matter how much we get into stuff, man, it's so hard to hold ourselves back. The Bible talks about how he sent, David sends, she comes, he lays, she returns. The amazing trajectory of sin is something that has to grip us as Christians. Remember this, lust wastes no time. It doesn't waste for you, wait for you. It doesn't sit around seeing if you will fall for it or not. It presents itself, but the Christian needs to have this resolve inside of him and inside of her. There's a slow buildup, but it's, but it's quickly happening. We see the slow buildup, but within a matter of verses, right? the this, this stuff starts transpiring but but God reminds us continually the best place to fight a battle of lust and sin is in the mind when you don't, and that in turn will not allow it to get to our hearts. We talked about how we have to stop while we're ahead. It's like David, man. David's on, on his trajectory. He's on this, uh, on this journey of failing and falling and giving up his passions and giving up his self-control. You see it with Abigail. He marries this woman called Abby, he pursues her, pursues her, pursues her, marries this woman called Abigail, alright, gets her, receives her, says, she is mine, and the next verse the Bible says, and he goes and marries another woman. Remember this, love is not about conquering. Write it down, love is not just about conquering. A lot of men, a lot of women think love is about conquering. And once you've conquered the love of your life and conquered the things that you love and the passions that you love and things and the people that you love, the the tendency is that time allows you to slowly let go. I urge you today, love is not about conquering. If love was about conquering, it'll be like the African chieftain who walks around conquering every territory around him. And he's bored. He's sitting, sitting on the side and he's bored because there's no more territory to conquer. It's important that love and passions and, and relationships that we get into, we don't treat it as things to conquer. We don't treat it as things to embellish. I pray that God will give us this fervency in our hearts and God is trying to teach David through this story about how it's important to commit. Last week, I, I was talking to young people and there, there are young people here today as well and I'm challenging you today. I said, you know, so, some of y'all are probably not ready to date. Some of you are probably not ready to meet a woman or not ready to meet a man, and, and you probably sat there and be like, How dare you tell me that? How do you know if, if I'm not ready to date? You know how you're not ready to date? If you're not ready to marry, you're not ready to date. All right? This might sound harsh. This might sound like old school. This might sound like, Oh, Ashish, what what's going on? We thought, you know, we didn't think we were that conservative. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, listen very carefully to what I'm saying. If you are not ready to marry somebody, you are not ready to date that somebody. Because people ask me, how far is too far, pastor? Where do we draw boundaries? Where do we stop? If you're not serious about that relationship, anything is too far. Come on, can I talk to somebody today? If you're not intending to marry that girl or marry that boy, she is someone else's wife, he is someone else's husband. You're getting frisky with somebody else's wife, again. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're probably sitting there and like, come on, Asher, this is a little too, you know, let's think broad. No, no, no. I'm I'm talking about biblical dating. Biblical relationships, ungodly relationships. Relationships and dating and, and marriage is not about hopping from one place to the other trying to find somebody that just works and just clicks with you. Remember that you're sharing your soul with someone you have no business being with. David needs to understand that, but, but, but he's way far along. He's basically like, I'm just going to conquer, conquer, conquer. If this makes me feel good, I'm going to take it. If this makes me feel good, I'm going to take it. I'm going to fall for it. When, when, when the passion dies, I'm going to get rid of it, and I'm going to go after something else. And my question to so many of us today is, why risk emotional entanglement and heartbreak if you're not serious about a relationship? This goes for married men, married women, unmarried men, unmarried women. Because the, 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 the draw of sin is serious. And I said this last Sunday. Women, if a man is not willing to wait for you, he's not worth waiting for. This is important to understand. He'll tell you he loves you. Trust me, I'm a guy. Guys will tell anything to you to get you. We're dirty rotten scoundrels, man, that's what we are. They can have Christ's desires. We can have Christ, but he's such a godly man, Pastor. He goes to church every Sunday, Pastor. He prays so good. We pray together, Pastor. All oh, that's great. All oh, that's amazing. They can have Christ's desires, but by nature, we all, men and women, we are rotten. Someone say rotten. Yeah, he's a Christian until he's not a Christian. See, many men don't make this connection between laying down with a woman and having a baby. Okay, this is, this is important for us to understand. We're being very raw, and I'm trying to teach us some principles from this life of David, and we're not holding back here. See, sin is, we gotta stop treating sin as an accident. Oh, it just happened, Pastor. I don't know I don't know how it came. It, it just, I, I just blew my mind. It just came out of nowhere. Like, sin is not an accident. See, sin is a process. And oftentimes we see it unfolding, we allow it to happen. Come on, is somebody listening to me? People say, oh, I just fell in love. Okay, this is where I'm confused, right? How is falling never good till you fall in love? Right? Falling is never a good thing. It's not a natural thing. Like, you don't say, I fell in a hole, and somebody comes up to you and says, aw, tell me more about it, that's awesome, like you feel me, right? Like this is, this is some serious, then why is it okay to fall in and fall out of this thing that God treasures so much, which is love, which is marriage, which is relationships, which is feelings? David, you gotta stop while you're ahead, bro. Like a godly man, a man after God's own heart is in tune with God, what God wants out of marriage and what God wants out of relationships. Stop falling into something that you should be stepping into very carefully, church. Young people, listen to me. Stop falling into things that you should be treading around real careful, that you should be taking your time with. Don't just fall into it because you're running out of time. This is important for us to understand. And the Bible says, she becomes pregnant. She's pregnant. It's this result of this ungodly tie. We're going to talk about this later, but actions do have consequences. Point number four. Undealt sin compounds. Unti- Undealt sin compounds more sin. If you're taking down notes, write it down. Verse six, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. All right, so he sent him, he's coming, right? When Uriah comes to him, David asked him, uh, asked how Joab was doing and how the people are doing and how the war was going, little small talk here and there. And David says to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah went, goes out of the king's house and and, and there followed him a present from the king. Now I want you to listen closely Go home, go relax, is what David is saying. He's about to cover up his own sin. David has slept with this man's wife, and in order to cover up that sin, here he is calling this man back from the battlefield, where he's in the middle of battle. He sends for him, he comes back, he gets home, presents himself in the king's court, and he looks at him and says, go home. But, but David, we're in the middle of battle. No, go home, it's okay. Okay. I'm about to do something here. Just go home. Relax. And what that meant was just go home and spend time with your family, spend time with your wife. And the Bible doesn't just stop there. It says, and he gives them a gift and sends them along the way. There were, And usually that gift would entail for, for those generals of the army when they would come back successful and they would come back victorious would be wine and food that would go along with it. So here comes the wine, here comes the food, there's the shower, there's this there's, there's intimacy and all of that that will follow. But here is Uriah, you know, he looks at him and says, get him back, bring him back so that no one gets hurt. But verse 9, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down into his house. Uriah is a man on assignment, y'all. A man with an assignment is not distracted by pleasures. Listen to me when I say this. A young man and a young woman that is on assignment is not easily distracted by the pleasures of the world. You're keeping yourself way too busy for the pleasures of the world to be enticing to you at all. See, trying to cover up my sin only makes things worse. And I need to understand that as a Christian because one sin often leads to the other. Sin compounds. Someone says sin compounds. So David is trying to cover up his sin and he's continuing to sin. He's dragging other people into it. And, 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 and when Uriah does not follow through, he goes and sleeps in his servants' quarters and David is upset. Okay, so David. Gives, when when they told David, Uriah did not. Verse ten. Go down into his house. David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why have you not gone to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel and Judah dwell in the booths, and the Lord and my Lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are camping in the open field. David is annoyed. I want you to pause what you're doing and listen carefully. David is annoyed. I want you to write this down. When you're in sin, okay? When you're in sin, there's nothing more annoying and unnerving than the integrity of someone else. When you and I are in sin, there's nothing more annoying, okay, than the integrity of somebody else. Because we're, everyone else is like, oh, look at him, he goes to church. Look at him, he's a holy, holy, he goes every meeting. We look at everything everybody else is doing, and man, it's just like, they're too holy. They're, they're this. They're, because, man, for some reason, we need to hide whatever's going, the reality of what's going on with us. And David is going through this, this season of, man, I'm in sin and I know I'm in sin. So what can I do? Here's a problem, right? So many of us think that the way to, 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 to avoid that sinful confrontation with God is to identify with other people that are sinning around us. And as long as we can find people like that and bring people into our sin along with us, we'll be like, that's fine. It's okay. We'll be okay. Birds of the same feather, what? Yeah. So, so here he is. He's like, you know what? Let me, just, let me just find some commonality here. Let me bring some people, some innocent people, to, 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 to compound sin. And without your knowledge, one person's being dragged into it. One person's lying for you. The next person's lying for you. The third person's lying for you. And before you know it, come on. Am I talking to somebody here? What's wrong with you, dude? And Uriah... Not the king, not the man after God's own heart. Uriah is the one who has to, who's left to explain his moral and, and ritual purity to David the king. Hmm. So David urges him again and says, remain here, tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remains in Jerusalem that day and the next and David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk and in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord but he did not go to his house. I'll just get him drunk. I'll just pull him into this this misery along with me. See, when sin isn't dealt with and confessed, it starts compounding, church. I'm I'm urging us today as the body of Christ, when God looks at us as his church, as his people, and says, be holy for I am holy. He's counting on you every Sunday, every single day to look at the Lord and say, Lord, I am a sinner in desperate need of your pardon, of your forgiveness, of your grace. And guess what? It's in plenty. It's in bountiful. It's about you and I going into the presence of God. Sin more to cover another sin. He chooses to conceal. He chooses to compound. David is me. Because we're lured to that lust. And the Bible often reminds us this. Lust when conceived brings forth sin and sin when fully grown leads to death. And I'm not going to get into the verses in Romans 2. The Bible says, the Bible declares that God will one day judge the secrets of every heart. Remember, just because sin is secret to you, it doesn't, it's not secret to the Lord. He knows your heart. He knows everything you're going through right now. Your husband may not see it. Your wife may not see it. Your kids may not see it. Your friends may not see it. But sin is sin, big or small. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, the Bible t- tells us not only that, that the, the secret sins will not remain. It says the Lord will bring to light the things hidden in darkness. I said this earlier when we started this, this message last Sunday. I said there are two ways in which God can teach you something. Either if you humble yourself and you, you humble yourself to God's instruction or he teaches you the hard way. See, those who think that they can evade shame by sinning in secret will discover that one day the, the disclosure of their secrets and sins before the very throne room of God is the worst shame of all. Forget about man, forget about being exposed by man. But I'm urging us today do not let sin compound. So let's look at someone and say, don't let sin compound. So, what happens? He sends Uriah back to the battlefield. When Uriah doesn't comply with him, David adds on to that sin with an sin. So he sends him with his own death warrant. He writes a letter back to the commander of the army and he says, hey, take this letter back. And in that letter is written, hey, I want you to make sure that you put this man on the front lines of battle right in the front and make sure that he is exposed to that. So Uriah is walking back with his own death warrant. Joab realizes that other people will die too. He's mad, he's upset but nothing is going to stop what's about to happen. And it's scary to see how David was willing to sacrifice his mightiest men to cover his sin. This is important. Brothers and sisters, when we're in sin, it's hard to see that the people that are closest to us are the people that are probably on the front lines of fire. And you know what sin will tell us it's okay? Just go ahead and sacrifice them. Just go ahead. Nothing's gonna happen. Nothing is gonna. Hamp- no, no, no. But without your knowledge, some of your strongest are getting killed in battle when you're sitting back and trying to cover your sin. I'm talking about your wife. I'm talking about your husband. I'm talking about your children. Because without your knowledge, you think it's just a... See, here's the biggest lie that the enemy can tell you. Sin is about you. It's personal. It's nobody else's business. It's between you and God. But here's the thing. There are way too many people connected to you. There are way too many people entangled in this whole relationship that you're in that not one person can get away without being affected by this. Hmm. It's crazy to see how the enemy has this way of hindering you to, to, from, from, from seeing what you lose when you give in to sin. What happens in Genesis three verses four and five? What does the devil say to, to Eve? You will not surely die. No, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, "For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and he, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil." What does everyone tell you? He just doesn't want you to have fun. Church, church doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you to have fun. Will she really want to end things with you if she finds out that you were doing what you shouldn't be doing? Will will, will you really be caught cheating on that test? Will you? But will you? What are the chances? I'll take my chances. What are the chances that you'll get caught shoplifting? What are the chances that I will? Am I talking to somebody today? See, when you sin, you won't hesitate to bring down other people with you. You won't because in a moment of passion, all you care about is your heart and your mind. It doesn't matter who dies on the battlefield. Hmm. It's amazing to see how much we will give up to enjoy a moment's pleasure. The friendships we're willing to sacrifice the marriage that we're willing to sacrifice, the relationships that we're willing to jeopardize, the marriages that are gonna be put on on stake, the children that we will embarrass. Come on, am I talking to somebody here? The job that we probably will lose. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to the house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But that thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You might think that you're doing right. Sometimes we compound sin by trying to do something good here or something good there. And we tell ourselves, as long as we do good, we'll be fine. As long as we donate this amount of money or we do this for charity or we do this service to the Lord, we'll be fine. And just like nothing happened, here comes after the morning period, the knight in shining armor. He comes in and he's like, I got you. Come, you can be. And it was the norm, kind of, back in the day. That a friend's husband would, would come and, uh, would, would, or a, friend's, a friend of your husband, that if your husband passed away, his friend would come and take you as his own. It was normal. And David was was doing exactly that. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan comes up to him. He offers him riddle the story that he tells him. And he says, man, you are that man that I'm talking about. He says, I anointed you king over Israel. He's upset. He's mad. He says, I have delivered you out of the hand of Saul. He shows him every good thing that he ever did for him. I gave you your master's house and your master's wife into your hands. And if this were too little, I would have added to you much more. Hear the heart of God. He's saying, do you know what a moment of pleasure and moment of sin can do to what I want to do in your life? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now listen, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Oh, this is good. Now, listen to this. Here's, here comes the judgment. Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with it secretly. But I will do this thing before all of Israel. And he said, before in the sun, in the, in the, in the daylight, that's what he says. Not when, when no one's watching. Point number five, write this down. There are consequences for sin, and habitual unrepentant sin has consequences. There are consequences for sin. David has this lack of empathy, this lack of emotional words. There's no love. There's no concern. Like I said last Sunday, she, he doesn't even use her name. The name Bathsheba is not even used. She, he uses her as an object. And, and Listen to this church. You have to deal with the outputs that come from your inputs. What goes around comes around. There are important lessons in life that God is trying to teach us today. David is about to face the music. The sword, the Bible says the sword is never going to depart, is what the Bible says. There's a fourfold judgment that David is about to experience. You wanna listen to this? Here's the fourfold judgment, all right? Judgment number one. The child in Bathsheba's womb will die. That was judgment number one. His love child will die. The second judgment, his son, Amon, would rape his half-sister, Tamar, and would be murdered by his brother in revenge. Now, I want you to listen to this, how this affects the family. This is R-rated, but hey, the Bible talks about this, and I need y'all to hear what the Bible says. Third thing, Absalom, his son, would usurp him on the throne and would be killed by Joab. You remember Joab from Joab. Adonijah will gain attempt, four. Adonijah will gain attempt to gain the throne and he will be killed by another brother. Fourfold, an innocent person will die in a child that hasn't even seen anything as yet. A sexually perverse son will come out of your family. A murderous son will come out of your family. A power hungry son will come out of your family. Why? Because of a moment of passion that went untamed fight it when it's small church fight it when it's small don't buy into the lie that this sin is not big enough it's not yet blown up not no one's going to see it no one's going to find out it's the small things that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger but now what point number 6 my last point is this allow god to heal your ungodly relationships allow God. There's so many of us that are probably have been in ungodly relationships in the past or will get into ungodly relationships, but the story of David tells us something, that it's just not the fact that David was a person that sinned, fell down, fell short of the glory of God. In verse number 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. You know what Psalms 51 verse 17 says? It says, The sacrifice God wanted, wants, is a broken spirit. It says, God, you will not reject a heart that is broken and sorry for sin. The word used over there is this word contrite. Contrite. This is important for us to understand engage, and gauge and, and think about today because, because we, we, you know the, there's something about getting into the presence of God and saying, God, I have brokenness inside of me. There's something about coming into the presence of God and being broken in your heart because that word contrite, it doesn't mean feeling bad about sin. That's not what it means. The word contrite literally means to feel crushed under the weight of guilt for what we have done to be crushed under the weight of sin. To say, I'm just not gonna feel bad, Lord, but I feel crushed. I feel crushed, I'm not gonna be the same ever, ever again. It means genuine disgust, that's what it means. When you and I come into the presence of God with a contrite heart, it's that heart that says, God, I'm utterly disgusted. And I wanna challenge somebody today, be disgusted with sin. I'm challenging myself as a human being, as a pastor, as a as a believer, as a Christian, be disgusted with sin. Don't allow it to just be another thing. Be disgusted by it. You know some people are bothered by this story. Bothered that God is probably unjust. That God did not give the penalty that David should have required. Did you just hear the four generations? Here's what that tells me that, man, if I do this, not only me, but my generations are gonna be affected by it. I need someone to understand this. This is powerful that what we do today may not be of significance today and we might not see it in front of our eyes today. But what I want us to understand that it might affect our children or affect our children's children unless God's looking at each one of us and says, man, just, just gather yourself and just kind of come to, come to this place of repentance in the presence of God. So many generations go through stuff in their lives without having any idea why they're going through what they're going through. It could be generational sickness, it could be generational illness. It doesn't matter what it is. So many kids, so many, so many adults, they have no idea why they're going through what they're going through. But unknowing to them, generations back, probably something happened to impact what they're going. You can't do anything about what happened, but you can do about you can do something about what's going to happen. Am I talking to somebody? I don't know what pain you're going through today. I don't know what struggle you're going through today. It may or may not have, uh, it may not have a relationship to what happened in the past, but I can promise you this church that you have the ability to control the wheel of destiny in your life and what you do today and how you deal with sin today can control that. See, so many of us are bothered by mercy until we come to a place in our lives where we desperately need it. Mercy till we need mercy. Because it's easier to be outraged at someone else's sin than my own. It's easier to drag somebody else to the feet of Jesus and say, Look, Jesus. The story is terrifying. Worship team, you guys can get ready to come up. The the story is terrifying. The outcome is, is confusing. It's rated R all around. But it didn't mean that God didn't think that it was a big deal. This is what I want to assure somebody today. There's no justifying. There's no excusing. There's this naked admission that David has in the presence of God. No buts, no ifs, no because Lord, nothing of that sort. He looks at Nathan and says, Nathan, I sinned. He looks at the prophet that is in front of him and says, David, you are that man. He breaks down and he says, me, God, I have sinned. It doesn't matter what path you came through. It doesn't matter the king culture that you were probably used to. It doesn't matter if you saw and you took, but we all come to a place of forgiveness and rest and love that God looks, extends his hand of mercy and says, take it and you and I should be wise enough to say, God, my bad, I'll take that hand of mercy right now. He accepts what's coming. He knows exactly what's coming. See, in the Old Testament Passover, the sins of the people were not put away. It was put on something else, usually an animal. It's it's crazy how David tries to pawn his sin on somebody else. I want you to listen carefully. Because for him, as long as he passed that on and pawned it on to someone else, an innocent person, as long as he passed... He, he lied to himself and said, maybe I, can, I, could, I could tame these, these things, these urges, these things that I have going on and I could probably continue doing it that way. David tried putting the blood on his hands on someone else, wiping his hands off. But wiping your hands off that blood doesn't void you of shame and guilt, does it? You can do that temporarily. So many of us, have done that in our lives. We've, we've seen that blood in our hands and we've washed it, wiped it away and walked away. But how many of us live with that guilt and shame? And that's the guilt and shame that I'm talking about, that you can't just transfer to something else. You can't wipe away on a cloth. You can't wash underwater. That guilt and shame can only be brought to the throne room of Jesus at the cross, of Jesus at the foot of the cross, and said, God, unless and until you deal with this, it will not be taken away. And I have good news for you in true repentance, heartfelt repentance is the only appropriate response to sin. Crushed under the weight of that guilt, when you and I can come into the presence of God. But it's amazing, the story of redemption. could it could have been a generation or two generations after. but out of his family, comes this man called Jesus. Out of that lineage comes this man called Jesus, who would take on the sins of the world. And what happened on that cross was rated R too. It was gory, it was painful. But the story of redemption is a true and beautiful one When a true repentant heart comes into the presence of God You may not see it in your immediate generation in your lifetime But I assure you of one thing God sees a repentant heart God admires a repentant heart And that's why without even missing a beat or giving him judgment or giving him counseling As soon as he repented Nathan looks at him and says you are forgiven That's the forgiveness of my Jesus he doesn't take you into a session. He doesn't take you down a guilt trip. He doesn't take you down memory lane. He doesn't tell you and throw you images from your life and the things that you did. No, 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 no. That's different, man. When you transfer your pain, He says, bring your burdens to me. Bring your pain to me because I care when I bring it to the cross of Jesus and say, Jesus, this is me. I have sinned. I am flawed in desperate need of the hand of God. He does not fail to bless you, church. We need a savior who's not like us. Verse 24, And David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her, lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And you know what the name Solomon means? It means peace. Yes, there can be peace after sin. And the Bible says the Lord loved him God looks at him and he was pleased with him is what the Bible says. There's something pleasing about godly relationships. There's something pleasing about when you and I treat relationships the way God wants you to treat it. Church, would you stand up to your feet with me? Mm. Verse number 25. He sent a message by Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. That word Jedidiah meant pleased and beloved. The same voice that brought judgment was the same voice that brought healing, that brought blessing. See, repentance doesn't reverse repentance restores. What he did was going to be forever etched in the books of history. Am I talking to somebody? We're going to talk about it till this day and we'll continue talking about this story. That it doesn't reverse the sin. And I want to remind somebody here today. What happened is not going to be reversed. It's not going to just go away from people's memories. That's not what repentance does. See, repentance, when the appropriate response to sin, when when you and I can repent, it doesn't mean that things will just change for for 180 and things will be reversed and everything will go back to normal. No, 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 no. True repentance restores everything that was destroyed. And God calls us beloved. Ask yourself if you're in a godly relationship. Somebody came up to me last Sunday and said, Pastor, can you, can you, can you tell me how I can identify and, and how I can see if I'm in a godly relationship or I'm treading on the, on, on the lines of an ungodly relationship? You ready for this? I'm going to let the worship team lead us in a few moments of worship. I'm going to leave you seven points. Point number one, ask yourself if the person that you're in a relationship with is truly and genuinely converted ask them if they have a relationship with Jesus if the person that you are with does not know Jesus in an intimate way do not sit back and hope that that would change one day bring that person to Jesus lead them into a relationship with Jesus first that should be your priority that's your mission field before you get into a relationship with them come on are you on yourself does that person have a good relationship with his parents? If his parents are living, do do they have a good relationship? The third thing, do you have a good relationship with other people? Are their relationships toxic? That person do not want to be around people. Do they take you out of social settings? Do they take you out of church? Do they take you out of people that you need to do life with? Are you doing life groups? You find yourself just, just running away. How is their relationship with other people? Do they have a good personality? Four. Do they have a good personality or a good character? You have no idea the number of people that have counseled, And the woman will come up to me and say, Pastor, I, you know, I, I've seen him get angry, but I never knew that he would hit me. <laughs> Point number five. Does the person have good conflict conflict resolution skills? Is that person willing to sit down and actually talk to you? Or is that person just gonna throw stuff around and walk away? Is he gonna hurl things, is she gonna hurl things at you and just walk away? Or is there a a conversation that you can have with somebody without screaming and yelling and cursing out one another, disrespecting one another? Does that person have basic self-control? self-control in money, self-control in habits. Here's the seventh one and the last one and the least important one, are you ready for this? Anybody have any guesses? The least important one, are you physically attracted to that person? It's important, but it should be the last thing on your list because that's not what it's all about. Ask yourself these six things before you say, hey, you know what, she looks good. He looks cute. He looks handsome. Because here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. What people look like when they're 20 and 30 is not what they're going to look like when they're what? 60. Because have you heard of this thing called gravity? And I'm telling you, gravity starts pulling everything down. Do not be attracted to physical appearances. Let that not be your criteria to say, that's the person I got to marry. That's the person I got to be with. That was his cardinal mistake. David saw, and what he saw pleased him. Never allow what you see to please you. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.